All right, well, last week we examined Psalm 23, and we started in the first four verses. We're going to actually finish off the rest today, but there are four glorious verses, and I pray that you are walking away from God's Word as it is taught, and as you open it, you're walking away from it differently. You're walking away from it changed, transformed. God's word is to equip you, to transform you, to change you into his image. The Holy Spirit uses it to conform you into the image of Christ. And so as you're here listening and as you're home studying, ask the Lord to be transforming you by his word. And so last week we looked at these four verses. And, uh, and, you know, we, we uh, we sometimes view our God only as holy, only as magnificent creator. And last week, we talked about how God is also our intimate shepherd. He is our intimate shepherd. And today, we're going to be talking more about that as God is our intimate friend as well. This shepherding, loving, caring God who sufficiently feeds you by his word, this merciful shepherd, the one who seeks you when you wander away from the fold, When you go your own way, he seeks you, he finds you. Even when we don't want to be found, he comes after us. He's the one who pulls us out of the ditch. He pulls us out of our folly and sin, and he brings you back, grants you repentance and godly sorrow over sin. What an amazing shepherd. And the shepherd also forgives you. We talked about that last week. He washes you. He spiritually restores you. Brings you back to the family like you never left. He perfectly leads you. Remember those straight pathways of righteousness we were talking about last week? And he does all this for for his name's sake, for his glory, for his fame. This God also powerfully protects you as you go through the valleys of darkness and the shadow of death. He is beside you. This Lord is a great And he is a glorious shepherd, a close, intimate shepherd. And we have him. He is our shepherd. And all of that, in in him we have everything. So let me ask you, was that your God last week? Was he everything to you last week? As you went to your workplace or whatever you were doing last week, maybe you're on summer holidays, is the Lord everything to you? This should be the testimony of all Christians. This is the testimony of the sheep. This is the testimony of the church. Jesus is our greatest shepherd. And so that's the beginning of Psalm 23, those first four verses. And then we're going to see David today change um, his poetic theming here. This motif, the setting is changing from the field to the table. From green pastures to fine china. We see this this lowly sheep becoming a favored guest at his table. No longer grazing, but having sweet, one-to-one fellowship with his host. And so David is going to show us today that the greatest shepherd is also our most gracious friend. Our most gracious friend. So let's start... By looking at Psalm 23, we're going to read right from the beginning, and then I'm going to slow down when we get to our last two verses for today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then our verses for today. You prepare a table before me. Notice how, notice how this psalm moves from talking about God to talking to God. You can't talk about God long enough without worshiping him. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have this great privilege yet again to open this, open this book, this printing on paper, which is your holy word, the Bible, the book for which many people have died just to try and read. And yet we have a copy in our hands this morning. Thank you for that grace. Thank you that you speak to us, that you wrote a letter to us. That even when we think back to Psalm 19 a few weeks ago, that, that general revelation wasn't enough. Special revelation had to come for us to know Jesus, for us to have salvation, and for us to know you. Thank you, Lord, that you spoke to us, and you are speaking to us through your holy word. Do your work in us today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be at work in our hearts, doing the role that you only do, illuminating this text to us teaching us, convicting us, helping us pray, transforming our hearts, conforming us to the image of Christ. We pray for more of that today. And we pray ultimately that you will get all the glory that is due your name in this church, in this city, in this world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I think I can hear myself on the speaker or something. Maybe not, okay. Um, so yes, we see David here casting his gaze upon the Lord again. So as we start here, let's look at the context of this psalm. We have King David. He is the author. Now remember that before he was king, what was David? He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd boy. He was the one who would spend his days and his nights in the sweat and the grime and the stink of the pasture. He would walk in the door smelling like the sheep that he tends to. He was also an errand boy for his brothers on the battlefield. He was also an unlikely hero. He was dismissed for being too young, for being too small. And yet through the power of the Lord, through him, he defeats Goliath of Gath with a single stone. Wow. Wow. All praise to the Lord for this. And the people praise him for his victory more than Saul. And then he overcomes Saul. And he overcomes many enemies. And then he is ultimately anointed the king of Israel. And so as you think about coming to the Lord's table, think about David on that day of exaltation, of installment as king. There would have been great feasting. There would have been great feasting. This shepherd boy is being raised up as king. He is exalted. 
And he is seated at the, the palace table. The Lord has anointed him and has brought him into a deep abiding fellowship, a deep abiding friendship. Now David, as he's writing this, would definitely be remembering this, remembering how far he has come from the fields to the table, to the palace, remembering how undeserving he is to be feasting in the place of honor. And so then he writes this for all the flock, all the congregation to be worshiping. Because in a similar way, we all experience this same reality. When we are saved, we are brought up from the dirt, from the mire, and exalted to the right hand of Christ, right? And so we see, today we're going to see another beautiful aspect of our relationship in Psalm 23. We're going to see our God who is, who is not only the greatest shepherd, but he is also the most gracious host. And so off the heels of God's powerful protection that we see in, in verse 4, in this valley of the shadow of death, David casts his gaze and his voice to the Lord, and he declares this. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's going to lead to our first point here, that my Lord so humbly befriends me. My Lord so humbly befriends me. Friends, our Lord does that. He so humbly lifts us up. He so lovingly befriends sinners. He really does. Right? You and I were going our own way. Before Christ you and I were desiring our own path, right? But God so graciously intervened, and we were so undeserving of his grace. Friends, in salvation, we are, like I said, lifted up from the depths of our sin, from the depths of our depravity, and we are exalted positionally into the heights of heaven. This is one of the most incredible aspects of our salvation, that, that right now, even though we still live in our flesh and we sin positionally, we are declared righteous and we are raised up with Christ to his right hand. We are co-inheritors of the kingdom with him. And then we need to keep remembering, though, that all like sheep, we have all gone astray, everyone after our own way. Remember the grace that we were not friends with the Lord. We were haters of God. We were insolent. We were immoral. We were idolaters. We were sons of disobedience. We were sinning all the time. But God so lovingly befriends sinners. So, when you think about that, you think that we were at war with God. We were his enemies. What we deserved was not to be seated at the table with him. What we deserved was to be in the lake of fire that is prepared for sinners. But he lifts us up. He saves us by his grace. We already looked at the Lord is my shepherd in verse 1. He is our intimate shepherd. We see this intimacy yet in a fuller way today in this text. 
We see the Lord hosting a magnificent banquet. And in this, we see such grace and we see such humility. We see this glorious and this eternal God exalting lowly sheep, scooping us up by his righteous right hand and carrying us and placing us at the victory table. Picture this table placed at the end of the valley of the shadow of death. You've gone through it, and he picks you up and puts you at the table. It's the court of a king. It's on the other side where victory over sin and death and Satan are fully realized. It's where the war is over. It's where the enemy is triumphed over. And what we see here is that this enemy is triumphed over and the enemy is bound. It says that this table is being prepared in the presence of my enemies. Meaning they they are looking upon this victory feast. They're looking upon it in chains. The darkness has been vanquished, but the victor is celebrating his accomplishment in their sight. That's your life today as a Christian. It has been won. And this is so very important. Think about this too. Rather than taking his rightful seat as the victorious warrior, what does our great shepherd, our great host do? He places us in the seat of victory. He places you at the seat of victory. You inherit his victory. It's his war that he has won, but you receive all the grace for that victory. He places us where he should be. He shockingly also assumes the role of a servant-hearted friend. We see him here preparing a table before us, preparing a table for fellowship, for communion. Try to picture that. Try to picture just you and the Lord at a table of fellowship, and he is preparing this table for you. It's amazing. You ever have that kind of friend that just really goes out of their way to be a gracious host for you? They, they, they work really hard to make you feel special. They work really hard to, to serve your needs. Perhaps they invite you over for, for Sunday dinner and they open the doors to the room that you never really eat in only when they're special company, right? They open up the china cabinet and take out grandma's dishes that she inherited down to you, passed down to you. They clean the house. They, they iron the tablecloth. They polish the silverware. They put napkins in those little rings, right? They put your little name on a card on your plate. You know, that extra mile that somebody goes to make you feel really special, really honored. That's what we're seeing here. The Lord serving us. We see him busying himself, which really means here, this preparing means to arrange, to set up, to line up. He's gathering the utensils. He's laying out the plates. This Lord who came to serve and not be served. He's preparing the seat of honor for his special guests. And the guest is you. The guest is you, his sheep. Honored guest. And what he's preparing for is sweet fellowship, sweet communion with you. Let's just soak in that a little bit. Our Lord wants to have sweet 
intimate fellowship, communion with you. Do you think about that? He delights to have fellowship with you. Do you ever think of your relationship of God like this? That it's an exalted friendship. That in the eyes of the Lord, you are his guest of honor. That he busies himself serving you. That he takes out the best for you. Do you view your relationship to God as a friendship? A deep and abiding friendship. Friends, when the Lord saves us, he doesn't save us and then forget about us. It's not like he rescues you from, from the destruction city and leaves you at the edge of the gate when he leaves, when you're, when you're in safety. He doesn't do that. He saves you to exalt you to his right hand, to seat you, to serve you, to have relationship with you, an eternal friendship with you. Ephesians 2, 4-6, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes we, we only think of our Lord and his extreme holiness, right? His extreme righteousness and justice. And those are all right. We need to be holding on to those things. Those things never change. But sometimes we don't think about him as our close confidant, our personal friend. Sometimes in, in our circles, right? Us who hold high the lordship of Christ, us who hold high his sovereignty, sometimes we can be cold to this tender friendship of the Lord. We forget that Scripture teaches us that he is our friend as well. James 2.23 Speaking about Abraham, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We love that, right? Justification, declared righteous, we love that. But then what does James say? And he was called a friend of God. John 15, 13 to 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You are a friend of Jesus. He is your friend. Embrace that. View him that way. How many people feel unworthy to be called Jesus' friend? This kind of ebbs and flows in your life at times, right? To be honest, sometimes I feel unworthy to be called a friend of Christ. Sometimes I feel like a fraud. Sometimes I feel like an enemy. Sometimes I still feel guilty. Sometimes I feel like Jesus, he just couldn't be my personal friend. Oh, how we forget about the grace of our dearest friend, Christ Jesus, the one who would lay down his life for his friends. How quickly sometimes we, we relegate our position of salvation lower than it really is in the eyes of the Lord. 
Friends, Christ, in Christ, we are so humbly exalted above what we deserve. This is what grace is. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. Don't let the fact that you don't deserve it keep you from relishing in the reality of your position as a friend of Jesus Christ. Embrace that friendship. You're no longer guilty. You're no longer an enemy. You're you're seated at this table. You are the guest of honor. And you are being served by a faithful, fellowshipping friend. He so lovingly and humbly befriends us. And so then we see this as our friend Christ Jesus is is pursuing us in deep personal communion, this, this rich fellowship. As he does that, he actively overflows his grace towards us. David testifies to this. He says, you anoint my head with oil. First, which verse is that? 5b. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here we're seeing that our Lord so graciously lavishes us. So in those days, this pouring of oil on a guest's head, it really speaks of of great wealth and, and generosity of the host. The host would be welcoming and honoring a guest to the table. And the oil itself speaks of healing. It speaks of renewal. And it speaks of joy that is being bestowed upon a weary traveling guest. Back in the days of Israel and in their land, the climate was extremely dry. And olive oil was used to soften the skin and to heal wounds. We even see shepherds doing that. If you had an injured sheep... They would use olive oil at the end of the day to to massage into the sheep to heal the wounds. And then we see this cup, this cup overflowing, which which speaks of of the bounty and the richness of the whole table. This cup would be full of wine. The, The plates and the bowls would be full of food. This host has spared no expense. And he has richly lavished you with the prime cut, the best food. And it is an endless supply. Your plate would be so full. Your cup would be so full that it would be spilling over. And as you would eat and as you would drink, the host would keep on filling up your plate and topping up your cup. We were out to dinner this week and and was drinking water at dinner. And I'm going to tell you, my cup was not overflowing. I had one cup and asked for it to be filled a couple times. It was not overflowing. This is not my Lord. My Lord's cup is overflowing. It's spilling over. The host keeps filling it up. This is poetic imagery of, of the grace that keeps flowing out of God, lavishing from God upon sinners by the great shepherd. The truth is that our Lord, he holds nothing back from his people. He holds nothing back when it comes to grace. His supplies never lack for his children. His fridge, his pantry is never empty. His grace is always full and brimming for you. 
He so graciously lavishes you. And it leads to our joy. Our cup overflows. So friends, the only place that you are going to find true and lasting joy and satisfaction is in the great host, Jesus Christ, alone. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're going to find it at the seat of the table as you commune with the Lord face to face, communing with him, listening to him by his word, speaking back to him in prayer. That's communion. Do you believe that? Do you believe in this God who so graciously lavishes you? Do you believe that you and every person who has ever existed in this world has been designed by God specifically to have your fullest joy and satisfaction met in Christ Jesus alone? That is the truth. Nothing else will satisfy. We so run to everything else in this world, right? We run to to everything else looking for satisfaction. Even as Christians, we're looking to the temptations of this world to satisfy us. And we're looking to the riches that are here, the the abundance of here. The problem is that the riches and the beauty of this world will never satisfy. You just need to go talk to a multimillionaire, billionaire. They never get to a place of arrival. They never get to a place of, hey, this is where we need to be. We don't need any more. You speak to some of the the greatest millionaires out there, some of the oil tycoons of the 60s, and and there was always more want and want and want. There is more things to buy in this world at all times, right? There is more things to chase in this world, and we're constantly going after them. But the problem is, is that they will never satisfy when we have a God, a shepherd who holds nothing back, and he is full of grace for us, which leads to our everlasting joy. The table's always full. Your cup is always overflowing. You are always refreshed in Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 tells us about the riches and the blessing that we receive in Christ Jesus. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not some of the spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1, 7 to 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the what? The riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So I don't know where you are today with your joy and your satisfaction. I don't know where you are in your head and in your heart and in your soul when it comes to your spiritual condition. Maybe today you're struggling to be really, you're struggling to be happy. You're struggling to find joy. You're struggling with contentment. Maybe joy is just something that just, just, it's just unattainable. And I get it, life gets hard. Life is challenging. Life brings sickness. It brings pain and death and brokenness. We still deal with the darkness here. Sometimes our eyes are so clouded with this place, we can't see this grace. We have no lasting joy because we're filling our cups of of satisfaction with the things of this world. Sometimes we can't see beyond the temporary. 
Friends, the older that I get in the faith, the emptiness of this world is becoming clearer and clearer. I don't know if you're experiencing that. The things of this world become that much more empty. It's true. You know, our young people, they're going to have a harder time understanding this because they haven't really been through a lot of hard things yet. There's a lot of things ahead of them that they want to taste and and try out. Sometimes it it seems like following this book is, is going to diminish my joy, right? The things that I want to do, the things that you're holding back from me. Once I get under, from underneath my parents' wings, I'm just going to get at it. I'm going to try all the things of this world. I'm just going to say to you, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lie from Satan that that's going to bring you joy and satisfaction. It's only found here. It's found in the grace at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's cup, his table is overflowing for you, Right? Only he can fully satisfy. So for us who are here this morning, let us feast upon him. Let us know him. Let us receive that abundance of joy that can only come from him. Actively pursue him at his table. I don't know if you, have, you ever have lunch or coffee with somebody and they've got their phone out and they're, they're talking with you, but they're kind of looking past you at times or they're checking the phone all the time. They're really not there, Right? That's not the God you have. When you have God at the table with you, he is fully engaged. He is never distracted. And who here thinks God's a little busy? right? He gives you his full attention. So embrace that. Pursue him. Pursue that communion. Receive that gracious joy that only comes from him. And next we see he so mercifully blesses us. Our Lord so mercifully blesses us. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. As we fight to see the fullness of God's abundant grace amidst a world full of lies trying to steal it from him, we have to remember that whether we believe it or not, God has our best in sight. He has our best in sight. He really does. God God's ways are always right. God's ways are always true. God's ways are always blessed by him. God's ways are always higher, always better. His thoughts are always higher than our thoughts. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He knows what is best for us at all times. When we are saved from our sin, and we are in the fold of God's care and his protection, your promise is this, surely goodness and mercy will follow you for your whole life. If you are a part of the fold, that is your promise. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you for the rest of your life. This goodness here that David shows us, it's divine goodness. It's goodness that can only come from God. It's the same goodness that, that God shows Moses in Exodus 33 where he says, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. It's the glory of his very character. Friends, wherever God is, good is. He is always good. And we see this mercy here. Mercy comes from the Hebrew word hesed. It's loving kindness. It's faithfulness. 
What David is saying is that wherever he goes and as long as he lives, the good and merciful character of God is always closely behind. That's true for us as well. It never leaves us. It shall follow me, he says. This reminds me of looking in the rearview mirror of my truck or my car. You know, we don't often know where we're going in this life. We'd love to know what God's will is for our life. We're looking forward out the window. It's not until we look in the rearview mirror we see where we've come from. We see the gracious, good hand of God as he has been leading us, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Roads that have led us through storms or dangerous places or emptiness or sadness. Look back in the rearview mirror. See God's good and gracious hand. His goodness is always towards his children. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to his purpose. Remember Job. If you read the book of Job, go read about Job again. And Job lost his whole family, his seven sons and his three daughters. He, he lost all of his wealth, and then he lost his health. How did he respond to God's goodness? What did he do? Job 1, 20 to 21. He rose, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshipped. And he said, naked I have come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God's ways are always good. In the middle of the battle, it doesn't seem like his ways are always good. You may not readily see his goodness shining through. In our house, we have a sign at the bottom of our stairway it says, God is good all the time. And it's just this great reminder. You get up in the morning, God is always good. We need to hear that. And he has my best interest, which is his will in mind. His time, his will, his way. His love is always brimming with mercy, even through the driest seasons of life. He so mercifully blesses us. And it doesn't end here, folks. It continues perfectly for all eternity. As awesome as God's goodness and mercy is here and now, nothing compares to his everlasting mercy for all eternity. He so eternally loves me, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, the I am. Yahweh forever. So we see we've come from field to the table. And now we see we're into the master's house. We started as sheep. We've moved up to honored guests. And now David shows us that our eternal reality is more glorious than we could imagine. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. In this house, there is no longer any separation from God. 
We are forever seated at the table with him, worshiping him, communing with him. There is no sorrow. There is no more pain. There is no more tears. There is no more death. There is no more suffering. No more temptation. No more sin. We will be heaven dwellers. Where there is only glory, there is only love, there is only grace, and holiness will abound. Do you ever sit down and just seriously ponder what it is going to be like in heaven, this incredible reality that we will be with our Lord forever? I don't think that we think about it enough. People are writing books and telling you that the, your best life is now. It's not. It's your life to come. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, verses 1 to 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Heaven is inheriting God in his home with him. Don't think of heaven as a place where you're going to go and enjoy everything that you do here. Right? It's not about all the joys that you have here. I'm just translating that to heaven. I'm going to do it forever. It's not what heaven is. Heaven is where God is. You inherit him. You are with him. He is your greatest joy. You can't even imagine it. We will be dwelling with the Lord, just like in the beginning, just like Adam and Eve before they fell, walking and talking with the Lord, communing for all eternity with him. And David says that heaven is the Lord's house. It's his house, his intimate house. You live with him forever. You need to be pondering about heaven more. The Apostle John was privileged to have a vision of heaven and it helps us to understand what we are going to inherit it. Revelation 21, 1-4. John sees this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the promise through all of Scripture. From the very beginning in the garden, that was, that's what we had. We lost that by our transgression, by our sin, but through that there was a promise that God would have a people. He would have a land. This is heaven. He will wipe away from every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Heaven is not a lofty place in the clouds. Anybody from the 80s watched the Care Bears cartoon? They lived in the clouds with rainbows. That's not heaven, okay? I'm dating myself here. Heaven is going to be the recreated universe. And there will be a city, the new Jerusalem, the very place where God is. It's the place where his glory will reside. 
I love this. There's no need for sun and moon and stars because the glory of God is at the center. This new Jerusalem is, is going to be this, this golden cube city filled with brilliant, costly stones, crystal clear jasper. And at the center of the city, there is the garden. There is the tree. There is the river flowing out from it. Revelations 22, 1-2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river. The tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's greater than you could imagine. As hard as it is to understand, even by these words, what we're going to see and, and experience, it is greater than you can imagine. 1 Corinthians 2.9 What no eye has seen, no, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Be thinking about heaven. Be pondering about heaven. Be longing for heaven. But don't be just longing for the place. The dwelling place of God will be with man. No more curtain. No more isolation. Face to face. The presence of the Lord and Savior. The Lamb of God will be with us. This is the house of the Lord. This is going to be your house. You have a room there. Don't get caught up in here. It's not your best life now. It's, it's your life to come. And the question is, are you coming? Is there a room with your name on the door? Is there a setting at the table with your name on the plate? Have you turned from your sin and trusted in this glorious shepherd, this gracious host that offers you life for all eternity? He offers himself for all eternity. Such grace. He lived for you. He died for you. He gives you his spirit to follow him. Follow him. Commune with the Lord. Cry out to the Lord for help. Do you believe in this shepherd? Do you believe that he lovingly befriends you? That he so graciously lavishes you? He so mercifully blesses you? He so eternally loves you? This is your God. This is your God. He is the greatest shepherd. He is the most gracious friend. Believe him. Turn to him. Worship him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have gathered us together, that you have brought your flock together, all these sheep, all of us who have gone astray, that even in our gathering today, even with, with the noise of children, let us just embrace that. That your plan is full. Your plan includes us all here and all those in the world who need to hear this message. 
Lord, we long for heaven. We long for your home. We thank you that you so graciously save us to that place, to your side, to commune forever with you. Help us not to get caught up in the here and now, but help us that while we are here and now, that we are about your mission, that this message is not just for us, that we need to share it with the world that our neighbors, that our coworkers, that the people that we walk by on the street every day, they don't need to suffer and spend eternity in torment away from you. They can have a seat at the table. They can have a room in your eternal palace. So work on us, use us, build your kingdom through us by your grace, by your spirit, informed by your word. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.